So we invoke the name of Jesus today. We thank the Lord for being present with us in this place. Amen. Welcome to our guest this morning. We're glad you're here with us. My name is Anthony Smith. I'm the lead pastor here at Mission House. Our mission, some of you have been paying attention, I've been saying our mission every morning, every Sunday, because some people don't know the mission. Our mission is to mobilize an army of love, right? We exist to be an army of love. We mobilize an army of love for the good of our neighborhoods and cities. Amen. So the good is whatever God wants for our cities. Amen. Sometimes we try to name what God wants before we ask God what God wants. Amen. We might watch Christian television, read Christian books, and be like, that's what God wants right there. Like, no, no. You got to talk to God. <laughs> Amen. You got to have a relationship with God to know what God wants. And so as a church, for several years, we discerned that God wants us to do the good and whatever that is. And Jesus said, my purpose the Bible says in the Gospels, they said when he's describing Jesus' purpose, he says he went about doing good, destroying the works of the devil. Amen. And so uh, we have a purpose. We have a mission here at this church. We're driven by our mission. We're not driven by my personality. I'm not here to try to sell me to you as religious consumers. I'm here to invite you into the mission of God, to invite you into the work of liberation and justice and love in this community. That's my job, amen? That's what our mission is. And so we are a mission-centered church that's centered in Jesus and the work of the kingdom of God, amen? So if I don't preach right today, if I don't, if I don't get you all up in the, in the wrath of today, just know that this ain't about me, amen? This is about the mission of God. This is about what we're called to be and do as a collective, as a community of Jesus in this city, in this county, in the surrounding region, and across the nation, from what I'm hearing, and from other, in other countries. Amen? And so we just thank God for the mission that God has called us to uh, today. Let me just be real quick. Um, I'm actually mourning uh, the loss of a dear friend who passed away last night. So y'all bear with me this morning. Um, I had a message planned all week, last two weeks, and the Lord woke me up this morning. Somebody else did and said, I want you to preach this. And so this is what I'm going to preach uh, this morning to you. If you could turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 16. Amen. Pray God bless you uh, this morning with the word. Pray it brings fruit uh, to your life. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 16. If you notice today, I have my glasses. And so I can see everybody in the room. Hallelujah. <laughs> I can see everybody. Amen. See everybody. Hey, Terry. Hey, how you doing? Hey, best friend, Zoe. I can see people behind that curtain over there. Amen. Ain't that something? Amen. God is good. Thank God for glasses. I don't even know we invented glasses, but... Thank God for him. Amen. Amen. The message that I have to share with you today is a part of my own story. Um, it's how I came into uh, Christian faith. Um, I, came into, I became a Christian or disciple of Jesus in a church um, that talked a lot about purpose and meaning. And uh, matter of fact, I can still remember the mission statement of my church 
that I was a part of over 20 years ago, right? We are committed to changing the world by, powering, by empowering individuals to reach the ultimate God-given potential through the ministries of Dominion Christian Embassy. That church no longer exists, but I feel like that purpose is still there. Amen? And so sometimes people can go through their whole lives not knowing uh, what purpose is. But let's just read the text this morning. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light, a light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And here's the key text. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as unwise, making the most of every opportunity. Let me read it again. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most, say making the most, Mm. of every opportunity because the days are evil. Ephesians 5, 8 through 16. This one life, full shot. This one life, what will you do with it? Mm. I know as Christians we talk about walking the streets of gold and the resurrection and the afterlife. I ain't never been there, but what I do know is I got this one life here. And so I just start this morning by saying, they're making the one statement saying this one life in all its beauty and all this ugliness and all this is 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 trouble all this difficulty all this joys and tears and triumphs and losses this one life is all you've got what will you do with it hmm. there's a point or a reflection by the writer Virginia Woolf, she said, what is the meaning of life? That was all a simple question, one that tended to close in on one with years. The great revelation had never come. The great revelation perhaps never did come. Instead, there were little daily miracles, illuminations, matches struck unexpectedly in the dark. Here was one. When I was a younger man, 
I saw this movie that still stays with me. It's the movie called The Dead Poet Society. Hey Amen. Everybody saw that? Uh, uh, the lead actor in that was Robin Williams. Uh, bless his soul. Um, in that movie, the basic plot is he's a, is a teacher in his prep school. And it's a school that's weighed down with tradition and expectation. And this is like a, a prep school like that's preparing the elite, right? They're going to be the masters of the universe. Some of y'all in schools like that now, right? Amen. Right? Some of y'all in schools like that now. Y'all preparing to be the masters of the universe. Amen. And so, so but as he walked in, he's like this creative, out-of-the-box teacher, very imaginative. And he walks in, he sees that he stepped into this very stodgy, very traditional, very hardened uh, kind of classroom environment, school environment, school culture where it's expected you will do this, this, and this, and this is what your parents expect you to be. You're going to be a senator. You're going to be a, 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 a master of the universe. You're going to be a CEO. You're going to be a, a titan in the industry. You're going to be a political leader. You're going to be this and that, whatever. And so he walks in, and what he begins to do as a teacher, he begins to create a culture for them to begin to think critically about their lives. You ask me what the role of a teacher is? If a teacher can get you to think about your life and think about the subject, think about the world in which you live in, that teacher has done their job. I really believe that. Real teaching, authentic teachers don't teach conformity. They teach people how to be critical thinkers and how to discover, the, how to prepare people to, to become their most authentic self. But there's a powerful scene in this movie, The Dead Poet Society, if you get a chance, check it out. When he kind of comes into the class, and y'all know Robin Williams is real, just every inch of his body, he's, he was one of those body, com uh, body comedians, right? His whole body just was funny, right? <laughs> and so he kind of just, these kids are all in this classroom in their, in their rows, in their desks. He comes in, he just kind of skips in the room, he starts whistling. Uh, some songs, Battle Hymn of the Republic or something like that, and he's walking through the classroom. And he walks to the classroom, and he walks out the other door, and the students are like, is he going to teach today? He just walked out the classroom. And so he pops his head back on the door, he says, what's up? Follow me. And so he takes him to this hall of uh, past classes, past uh, students who went through that institution, that went through that school, and he's saying to them, what are they saying to you? He says, they're gone, right? What would they, what would they say to you? And then he has them quote uh, this, this poem from Homer, who was a, a Greek poet, very popular in this day, very well known in literature. Don't worry, y'all, I ain't going to stay deep like this all morning. And there's a, there's a line in, in the poem that Homer gives where he uses this phrase in the Latin. It's the phrase carpe diem. Carpe diem. Which literally means to seize the day. See, to seize the day means to have a meaningful life. Say meaningful life. 
Carpe diem is what Paul describes when he says, make the most of every opportunity. That word there literally means there are moments and times in our lives that we oftentimes, we're not aware of them, but there are little moments where we're called to make the most of them. And that's, I believe, what our life is. We are to make the most of our lives as possible. Whoever we are, whatever God crafted us and designed us to be, God has made us to make the most of our lives. Not to just settle for humdrum existence. Not to just settle just to live and eat and, I'm about to say a bad word, to do some stuff that you do in the bathroom and to just to pay your bills and get a car note and a house note and go on a few vacations and die. I should have said biscuit. Eat, sleep, biscuit. But many of us live our lives in such a way. Carpe diem. It means to seize the day, brothers and sisters. It means to live a meaningful and purposeful life. But many of us come from situations and contexts Many of us in which I'm still blown away by this idea, by this notion, this thought that you can go into a religious environment your whole life and say that you are encountering God and you come out of that situation not knowing who you are and why you are here and why God made you and that God is with you to make that thing happen. How can you go to uh, worship your whole life in a religious institution and never know why you are here? even possible. You come to worship the creator. <laughs> Don't it sound a little paradoxical, a little, what's the word? Contradictory? I don't know another word. I'm trying to find all these fancy high dollar words to explain to you the contradiction of coming to worship the creator and you don't even know why you created how does that even happen? How is that even possible? I know why. Because most times people don't go to church to find out why they exist. Mm, mm, mm. People come to church to fulfill a religious function, to do that cultural duty, to go through the rituals and the, and, the, and the rhythms of religious culture and to make sure that you follow in all the religious rules and all that stuff. No, I'm here to tell you the main reason why you come here, yes, it is to worship God, but it's also to find out what God made you to be in this world. Make the most of every opportunity. And I believe building a life that seizes the day, carpe diem, requires a certain kind of recipe. How do we build a carpe diem kind of life? How do we build and cultivate the kind of life that seizes the day that seizes the horns of the altar, that seizes the horns of the altar in the presence of God, in the presence of your creator. How do we build a life that learns and becomes more aware and becomes more courageous to dive into a becoming a carpe diem kind of person? In her book, The Power of Meaning, Emily 
Esfahani Smith lays out what it means to live a life that makes the most of every opportunity. People who lead the most meaningful lives have a far-reaching purpose. They forge relationships where they help themselves and others feel valued. They assemble their experiences into a coherent story. And they contribute to something bigger than themselves. This is a hard sell in a culture where we are constantly told to let our mantra be, I got mine. I'm going to do me. She says, and I agree with her, that there are at least four pillars of a meaningful life. There are at least four uh, uh, ingredients of a life uh, that is well-lived, a life that learns how to seize the day, a life, as Paul says, that makes the most of every opportunity. There are four ingredients today. I want to share them with you briefly. The first one she says is belonging. Last night, as we were with my brother Alex Clark, who passed last night, his tribe was thick. His tribe was deep. That hit me. You got to belong to other people. The first pillar is belonging. Belonging comes from being in relationships where you're valued for who you are intrinsically. You got belong to a group, a tribe, a crew, a squad, hopefully a church, amen, hopefully a church, amen, because sometimes we don't value folks in church intrinsically. We, we value what they do externally, amen. We only value people when they follow the certain rules. But true belonging, you got to be connected with some folk that love you for who you are, regardless of what you do. Intrinsically, they see your worth. They see your value just in who you are. But some groups in relationships uh, deliver a kind of cheap form of belonging. Your value for what you believe, for who you uh, for who you hate, not for who you are. Isn't that something? There are literally religious environments where people are not valued unless they believe everything what the preacher believes. That's crazy to me. Because my beliefs change. <laughs> right? If you go wait on if you waiting on me to tell you what to believe all the time, you're in trouble. My job is not, as I said this week on social media, my job is not to beat a mountain. My job is to point you to the mountain. <laughs> so, so sometimes we, are, we belong to things that we're only valued by what we believe or uh, who you hate. That's really popular these days, right? People hating people they don't even understand, don't even, even know. Don't even know why. Amen. She belongs. Amen. 
and not for who you are. True belonging springs from love. It get, lives in moments among individuals, and it is a choice. You can choose to cultivate belonging with others. You have to, let's think about church, and honestly, it does get frustrating as a pastor because you're trying to build a community, you're trying to build an organization, and you realize that at some point, because of the work that you're doing is so valuable and so important and so impactful in your community, you want to make sure that it's sustainable. But one, the, the, the paradox is, is that you can't make folk be here. <laughs> I don't want to make folk be here, be honest with you. Now, some pastors do that, right? Because some of y'all, y'all end up missing on a Sunday. And sometimes, so I ain't going to honest with you, like when I was a Christian, when I first came to church, I was, got, I was getting involved. I was in a, on a ministerial team. I was learning how to be a preacher in my church. And I'm on one Sunday, I wanted to watch the game. <laughs> so I stayed home. Man, my pastor, next thing you know, I was like, who is this? So I walked into the door. This is my pastor. I was like, really? And I was new to church, right? I was like, this is how church supposed to work? <laughs> right? I really wasn't raised in church. I was like, it wasn't work like this? He said, where were you at today, son? I was like, I was watching the game. I ain't finally come to church today. <laughs> and so he was like, nah. he said, that's cool, but you're a leader, though. I was like, okay, pastor. <laughs> So I got a leadership lesson there, right? He said, you're supposed to be committed. You're trying to demonstrate a model commitment to other people. Now, I would never do that to people here. And so that's why sometimes when some of y'all are going, I know something's going on with y'all. And I feel a little hesitant because of that trauma. Because <laughs> I don't want y'all to be thinking like, oh, he's trying to check in. Why I ain't go to church today? No, I genuinely am concerned about you. Because if I don't see you, I'm like, okay, what's going on? Because it's like the only time we get to see each other a lot, right? And so let's so let y'all know. I want to clear the air with that one. Hey Amen. I ain't trying to be like CIA or nothing like that. But I call because I feel like we all belong to each other. Black history moment here. There's an African philosophy called Ubuntu. I didn't say that all wrong. Ubuntu. Ubuntu. Ubuntu is a Zulu pronunciation. Uh, is a Ngune Bantu term meaning humanity. It is often translated as I am because we are, or humanity towards others, or is the Zosa, Untu, Ingumuntu, Ingubantu, but it's often used in a more philosophical sense to mean the belief in a universal bond of sharing that connects all humanity. So from our ancestors from the continent, the motherland, we learned that we all belong to each other. The next ingredient is purpose. Purpose. Why? Why am I here? Why are you here? What is your calling? What is your purpose? I always tell people all the time that purpose is not something that's like way out there somewhere, way out into the future. If you go to some religious or cultural environments, they present purpose like it's something like way into the future. Like I hear people like who are, you know, my age, you know, 
through like, man, I need to find my purpose. And I'm like, well, what are you doing now? What are you doing things that you love to do? So, yeah, I love, I love, like for me right now, part of my purpose in my life, like I love being with my granddaughters, right? Because, you know, um, they got some challenges around them. And I realized that I got to be present with them. I have to make sure that every moment that I have with them, Every moment that I have with them is meaningful. And so, man, if you got kids, grandkids, man, part of the job, part of the purpose of that is learning how to give them powerful experiences, meaningful experiences, loving experiences. Every time I see them, I grab them up. So I love you. I kiss them on their head. Amen. People always think purpose is some grand thing. I'm called to be an apostle to the nations and all this kind of stuff, right? I mean, you know how we do in church, and especially Pentecostal charismatic churches, right? You called to be a prophet to the nations, amen, hallelujah. Your name will be broadcast in, the, in New York Times Square. You will have five homes and two Rolls Royces. How about you called to be a loving grandfather, a loving mother? You know what I mean? A concerned citizen. A neighbor, a problematizer, right? Come to Bible Lab to learn what that means. So purpose, what is your purpose? And so I tell people, your purpose is not something that's way out there. Have you ever seen an apple seed or any kind of seed in a fruit? Right. Everything that that seed is going to be is already in that seed. Right? The apple seed ain't saying to itself, hmm, that tree is off into the distance bearing more apples. No, that tree bearing more apples is already in the seed. All that you are in your life right now is all that God gave you to be who you called to be. You wait for some extra stuff. But everything is already in you. You are already a seed filled with what God, the purpose that God has given you. You wait for some extra stuff. I'm praying. I'm trying to find me, Pastor. I'm like, why are you trying to find something that's right in front of you? I'm trying to find, you have people like this. Usually people, midlife crisis or something, right, you know. Because they've been doing, they've been just surviving, that's why. Right? People who say, I'm trying to find myself, they've been trying to survive up to this point. And I get that. We live in a culture that tells you just to survive. <laughs> to worry about your belly and what you're going to drive and where you're going to live. Nothing wrong with those things, but we make that the end of human life. The telos, as the philosophers say, the telos of human life, the end, the purpose of life. But you are already who you are. God just do some refinement. That's what wisdom is. And that's why you got to belong to a community. Because a part of who I am 
You may think that I'm somebody. You may think that I'm this or that or whatever judgments you may have. You may think he sucks. I don't know. But the thing is, if you see my life, I was refined because I belonged to a group of people who loved me and was not and was not willing to let me off the hook with who God made me to be in this world. That's why purpose and belonging are so important. That's why church really is so important. Look at all the great artists and musicians uh, in, 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 uh, in, that we look up to, right? A lot of those folks in our own communities came up in church. Why? Because they saw that baby singing on the front row. Man, put her up in the choir stand, let her sing. Then you get Aretha Franklin, Fantasia Barino, Whitney Houston. They were a part of some kind of community that they belonged to that called their purpose out of them. So when people always ask me, Pastor, how do I find out what my purpose is? Some of you have sat with me before, y'all have asked me this kind of question. They say, Pastor, how do I know what my purpose is? What? And I say, what your people say about you when you was little? What your people say about you? They said, I was bossy. Oh, you a leader. You asked too many questions as a child. Oh, you a thinker. You a philosopher. Oh, okay. You out there getting folk, making deals, swapping toys of folks out there out in the front yard with the kids in the neighborhood. You like, and you, you, you swapping out bikes and stuff, and you like, what, what is, excuse me, y'all. I don't know why my thing is doing this. There we go. Okay, yeah. It's telling me to just, Wrap it up. <laughs> so you out there exchanging bike parts and bike chains and, and your whole bike, and you like, what is that? He was always out there swapping stuff and bartering with people. Oh, he was an entrepreneur. See what I'm saying? But that comes out of a context of you belonging to other people. Next, storytelling. I'm moving through this quick, y'all. Storytelling. So this is the story of God. And then there's your story. See, calling comes when those stories intersect with each other. We often go through our lives without really thinking about our story. We rarely sit down and piece it together. When we do this, we begin to see the threads and the themes, the episodes in our lives that made us who we are now. We begin to discern meaning and purpose. We begin to thread the needle of our lives. What is your story to your life? What were the epic battles? The moments of failure. The moments of triumph. Traumatic moments. When they did you dirty. Betrayal. Every great story has a betrayal. In that song. Man, I remember I told <laughs> my sons, uh, one of my sons recently, about what happened with my first marriage. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting if you ever had that kind of situation uh, where you had kids from a first relationship, a first marriage, and they were young when it ended. They don't realize what happened, or they, they think they realize. But when they get older, you have to find compassionate ways to retell what happened. And so I remember I was telling one of my sons, 
what, in a very compassionate way as possible what happened. Because in his mind, I just simply left. And I was like, son, no. My heart was broken. I didn't know if I was going to live the next day. I wanted to leave the planet. I love you. And then he's like, he started getting mad about what happened. How could she? I was like, man, she's broken too. But brother, I thank God for what happened. I got to the point. I'm at the point, my, my story, I can say, I thank God for what happened. Some people ain't in that part of the story yet. They still a little angry, still a little mad. <laughs> Amen. That's good. That's part of the process, right? Because, you know, I hate to say it, but heartbreak is part of the process. Because it happens. Grief and loss and pain. What these things do, actually, when we're in that process, it opens us up for the possibility of having a greater capacity for compassion. Let me just put it another way. Suffering hollers you out. Mm. So why? Suffering hollers you out so that you have room for others' suffering. You ever notice you go through something and you see somebody that's going through what you done going through, you have a deeper empathy for them because you've been hollowed out by your own suffering and experiences. That's why you got to be able to tell your story. I want to challenge you this week. Begin to tell the highlights. Think about the high moments of your own story. Some of y'all got some serious highlights. Some of them tragic, some of them triumphant. Some of them are moments when you are lifted and there are others when you've been put down by somebody or something. I want you to think about when you were younger, what's the highlights of your life when you were younger? Like child, teenage, young adult, adult, and for our elders until the elder in your elderly years. Think about your story. What is your story? People who can tell their story are ready to seize the day. Because they know who they are, they know where they've been, and they have a sense of where they're going. And so when opportunities come in for them, things come in, their, come in their view, they say, I know my story, and I know the trajectory of my life. And so this is one of those opportunities that fit within my story. Why? Because I know what my story is, and I know where God is taking me. And so this opportunity fits with what I am. Sometimes people seize opportunities that don't fit their story. People seize on stuff because the culture says it's a good thing to seize on, but it ain't got nothing to do with who they are and what their story is. That's why you got to know your story so you can seize the day. Isn't that something? Last point. We'll stop here. One of the names for God in the Bible is Emmanuel. What does that mean? Well, don't be shy. Amen. <laughs> Emmanuel means God is with us. I want to say this sentence to you, and I want you to think about this for a moment. We are those who say the Spirit lives in us. That's crazy. 
I mean, it's good. But I think we take that for granted. Let me read that again. We are those who say the spirit lives in us. These are fascinating words, brothers and sisters. God lives in us. Kosha. God lives in us. It's just words until you think deeply about what that means. God lives and moves in my life. See, God don't struggle with being God. God ain't got an identity crisis. God ain't trying to figure some stuff out. God ain't like, oh, no, I'm trying to find me. God is God to the fullest. The moment God decides not to be God to the fullest, which God can't do, because Paul said God cannot lie, right? And so if, if, if in some hypothetical scenario, some kind of world-ending apocalyptic scenario, that God decides not to be God anymore, guess what? Uh, wormholes begin to collapse, amen? Planetary systems begin to dissolve, amen? Uh, oceans begin to just dissipate. Uh, you begin to evaporate. Like at the end of Avengers, that, that Avengers were the last Avengers, when they all disappeared when Thanos went like that. God decided not to be God to the fullest. This is what happens. See, God don't have step. God ain't mediocre. So I thank God for people in my life, like a brother Alice Clark, who let God be God in their life. Mm. See, God ain't mediocre. Y'all know what the word mediocre means? It's a crazy word. It's an old English word. Anybody want to ask any English literature folk? Grammatical experts up in the house? Etymological students or, or experts? Mediocre? It literally means going to the middle of the hill. Medi, middle. Oka Hill. It literally means to go halfway up the hill. That's what mediocre means. It means to half step. God does not half step. God is, is ever flowing fountain of love and purpose. Non-stop. Like a perpetual motion. Let me just say it like this. What, why am I saying this? Why am I talking about God? Then I'm going to come back to you. Let me tell you what I'm saying is this. Is that the fullness of forever lives in you. The fullness of forever lives in you. Paul said the fullness of the Godhead bodily lives inside of you. And if God is a God of purpose, that means there's something that God designed you to be. And God was like, I ain't leaving you lonely. I ain't leaving you to your own devices. Guess what? I'm going to be with you. The one who is forever, fully forever, it lives within you, resides in you. 
the fullness of forever lives in you. You see, what does that mean, Pastor? Let me go even deeper with you. See, God seizes the day. <laughs> God practices carpe diem. God seizes every moment, every millisecond, every nanosecond. God seizes it and makes every moment uh, its fullest possibility because if God didn't, we would not be able to exist or even be able to, to, be, uh, to habitate on this planet. You're able to breathe right now because God has seized that moment and made it its fullest possibility and potential. He made oxygen breathable every single moment. Take a breath real quick. You see that right there? That's God seizing the day. Matter of fact, not only does God practice carpe diem, not only does God uh, seize the day, God is actually carpe diem. See, scratch that. See, God is the moment. Mm-mm-mm. See, God is the meaning. God is the purpose in your life. See, it's better. You better seize on what God is up to in your life because God is trying to seize it through you. That make any sense? You better seize the day. Think on Emmanuel. So we got belonging, got purpose, storytelling, and that fourth one there where God is with us is transcendence. You got to have a moment of transcendence. You got to have moments when you engage in the sacred and divine, when you engage in something much bigger than yourself amen, and get caught up in it. Amen. And I'll never forget, y'all. He has family here today, so I don't know. Marquette. First time I met that brother. If you know Alex, you, you'll get what I'm saying. We had met socially before, but I, ha- I had organized a community movie screening to go see uh, when the King movie came out. I can't remember the name of it. Selma, yeah. And so we had several people organized to go to it, and we organized. Some of you probably remember this. Uh, we organized a, a, a after movie screening conversation at Firewater. Some of y'all remember that? And so <laughs> I'm sitting there, I'm engaging in dialogue and discussion and everything. And there was this little short brother off into the corner. I mean, he's a little bit shorter than me, but you know, he's off in the corner, just sitting like this, this like he was observing me. And so I get done dropping my knowledge, trying to look all smart for people and stuff like that, and being engaged. I get done. And he says to me, he says, he was like, hey, brother. He said, glad to meet you. My name is Alex. Glad, you know, he began to tell me about his story. He knew his story well. Mm. Storyteller. He knew his story well, right? And we're talking. He said, hey, brother, you ever read the Quran? I said, yeah, brother, I read the Quran. I read the Quran. I have a Quran. I said, I'm, I'm Christian. I said, I'm not Muslim, but I, I appreciate and I'm learning what Islam is. He said, okay. You read the Vedas? I was like, yeah, I read the Vedas. Read the college, you know, we started talking. He said, okay. You know how Alex would, Alex would challenge you, right? He's like, you ever heard of Oshango? No, 
was like, who? And what I got from that moment was, what th- one of the things that many things that that brother taught me was, you got to remember who your people are and where your people come from. And so I, I saw this brother engaging in a transcendence and dealing with the memory of our people. And by our people, I mean people who come from Africa, right? And so there's a certain transcendence about that. And so you got to find places and spaces in your life and people in your life who are connected with God, who have a deep sense of wisdom and experience and have a deep memory. And you and, and I'm telling y'all, all, th- those kinds of folk are a treasure in your life. You got people in your life that know their story. If you got people in your life that have a connection with transcendence, you got people in your life that belong to something bigger than themselves, you better grab hold of them and not take them for granted in your life. Every time that brother called me, he said, bro, I need to talk to you. I'm there. You got to be like that with some folk. You better seize the day, brothers and sisters. Seize the day. Carpe diem. Grabs a hold of God in the moment. And be all that God has made you to be in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. All right. I'll give you a few moments. We got to clap back. Finish the sermon. Thanks, Ike. So as we do, as we finish the sermon,